Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio, out sports radio on Blog Talk Radio. Um, as always, our podcast is sponsored by AT&T Mobilizing Your World. This is Jim in Los Angeles with Sid. Sid, are you? have I connected you properly? Uh, well, hello there. You are on, okay. I hope so. <laughs> you never know on this thing, it doesn't light up green when the guest is on. So I see you are, I can hear you, so you're on. Um, happy uh, Pride Month, everybody. Um, happy Pride Month. I wonder if, if you know, it's been, it's, I, I read this article about somebody, you know, every every year there's somebody writes an article kind of attacking gay pride for the Speedos and the alcohol. And it's been an interesting conversation on Facebook about it. A lot of people say that, that pride is changing, that it, there's been... They've seen this year less of a focus on those things and more families and more kids. So it, it's been uh, it's been cool. And I think, I, I think in Portland Pride, we saw that that very thing. Lots, lots more kids and families. Yeah, it's a lot less uh, a lot less flesh than you see in the L.A. Pride, New York Pride, Chicago Pride, for example. It's a lot smaller. The parade itself, we marched with the Nike contingent last. I mean, we were what about an hour of our walk before we got to the end. So. It's not very long, but it does have a different feel. And it was an article in the LA Weekly I saw that people were discussing about has the concept of pride thing does it has it morphed and does it need to be changed from what it used to be? Um, and I thought there was some validity to it. It talked about getting back to its political roots and less of its you know uh, any sex you you know sex anytime you want to and you know guys in speedos. Not that there's anything wrong with guys in speedos, but. People think it's kind of it's kind of changed and transition. So uh, we encourage men to wear speedos. Exactly. Um, and in Portland, it sort of had speedo weather. It was uh, in the 80s, which is amazing. Uh, last year, it rained on us, so that <laughs> was not a pleasant experience to be marching out there in the rain. But uh, we're going to talk about the uh, Nike-sponsored LGBT Sports Summit in a little bit. Um, we got to begin with something that happened. While we were actually in Portland, it happened Friday. Uh, word came that Michael Sam left the uh, Canadian Football League Montreal Alouettes abruptly and went home to Texas. There was no real reason given. Uh, his agent at first said it was migraine, which they kind of dropped that quickly. Um, the team issued a statement saying it stood by Michael. Uh, but then the next day, the, the general manager on record said he had just seemed like Michael just wanted to go home, was his quote, and he said, I have no idea why he left. Uh, the coach was asked, and he said, I have no idea why he left. Michael has been quiet uh, in the last week. His agents have been quiet. Um, there have been some reports in the Montreal Gazette by their beat writer that Sam felt um, um, disrespected, basically, is what he said. Um, you know, that some of the other players were saying you're not as good as you think you are. And so we don't know if that's true, but it's kind of a mystery right now. And it's a shocking end in many ways, or maybe an end, because Michael, Michael's on a suspended list, which means he can come back to the team. 
their first games in a week. Um, he's not back in a week. Kind of wonder if this is what this says for Michael's career. So basically, first your thoughts on everything, and kind of do you have any conjecture on what might be going on? Well, I, I, uh, I there have been some reports that Michael was about to get cut, and he knew that, and he'd rather quit than get cut. I I have not found any credence to that report whatsoever. I think the LOS were in this for the long haul. They were really embracing Michael, not just on the field, but off the field. They really wanted him to be here there. And the idea that the Alouettes were about to cut him, I think is, I, 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 I don't think there's any truth to that whatsoever. Then there's some conjecture that somebody said something to him in the locker room and that offended him and, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to believe that teammates would would say, "Oh, you're you're not as good as you think you are." Uh, you know, I don't I don't know. I mean, it's if if there was some, it's almost like that language is almost like you'd expect to hear about there having been a big fight in the locker room. I can't imagine somebody would say that, and Michael just kind of walks out. Uh, that's just that's not Michael. So I, I don't know I don't know what to believe. I, you know, I, I I don't know why he left. I don't think many people do. Uh, I, 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 one thing to, to note is that nobody has said that he left because of a migraine. They said that he sat out practice that Thursday, last Thursday, because of a migraine, and then oh, God, he okay. uh, left the team altogether on Friday. So nobody said that he left that he went to Texas because of a migraine. But 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 that's that's small potatoes. Well, but the thing is, we're, you probably heard the same thing from people in Portland, all LGBT athletes, coaches, administrators. Um, people were just mad. They were mad at Michael. They were mad for him leaving. They were mad for no reason. And what surprised me is, A, the level of anger, people feeling a certain level of betrayal. But I think for me, it's not hearing anything. Normally, if people leave for personal reasons, they issue a statement saying they're dealing with a personal issue, they want everyone to respect their privacy. And you kind of know, okay, there's something going on that we don't know about. Or if Michael decided he doesn't want to play football anymore, which I don't think is the case, they issue a statement saying, I've lost my desire or whatever. That's happened to many, uh, several NFL players in this offseason, and no one begrudges them that. In this case, the fact that he has said nothing is really what is bewildering people. And that's also bewildering me. It's like, hey, you need you, – you need to owe us some explanation. And then when the Malouettes say they don't know why he left publicly, it's like you kind of wonder what is going to happen if he decides to go back uh, to the team because they clearly seem like they're leaving the position open. I decided went on their store yesterday to see if the jerseys were still for sale and you can still buy a Michael Sam jersey. So Montreal still has, has certainly not cut ties, but I think it's the lack of – any explanation, even if it's a simple, you know, basically I need some time statement, that's kind of puzzling. People are disappointed. And it's understandable when you put so much hope and excitement into an athlete, in this case, and they do something that is inexplicable or disappointing, you get you get disappointed, you get sad, you get mad. I was talking out to several women in in Portland at the Nike Summit about Brittany Griner and what had happened over six weeks. And, you know, 
being arrested for domestic violence, then getting married, getting suspended, announcing her wife's pregnancy, and then getting divorced or annulled all within six weeks. And, and the women were just just disappointed. They had put so much hope and, and interest and energy into this person who just who did something that they just didn't understand or didn't like. So it's understandable why anybody who is an LGBT athlete would be disappointed in what Michael's done because you're right, it's he hasn't explained what's going on and, and there's so many and, and all of the conjecture is not good. <laughs> so so he yeah, hasn't set yeah. the record straight. So I, that's that's a big part of it. Well, because there was one of our readers who, you know, people claim they know stuff and who knows, but, you know, basically said something that I at least rings possibly true to me, that maybe he realized uh, this is a lot tougher competition than I thought, and maybe he was mentally not prepared for that. Um, but the bottom line is until we hear from him, this is going to lead to all this speculation. And I think with Brittany's case, I kind of felt the same way, but then I thought, you know what, there's a lot of heterosexual marriages that are really screwed up. And yet this is a high-profile, you know, uh, LGBT-type relationship. And so I guess people want them to almost be perfect. But I kind of felt like, well, this is this is nothing that doesn't happen in the NBA, w, you know, NBA, NHL, NFL, Major League Baseball all the time. But obviously the twist there was you have, you have teammates. So at least they kind of understood, okay, you're in a bad relationship, not working out. In Michael's case, it's like – puzzlement because he was so excited about signing up there and then just leave and a week later you know kind of like what's that where the, <laughs> the hell's going on it's it's a mystery and we can we can guess and second guess i, I think one of the things that we, we i don't think we can have to guess about is if michael doesn't return to the alouettes it's football career is over it, i can't I can't see a situation in which another CFL team or an NFL team gives him an opportunity to play football if he does not go back to this team. And I suppose maybe Arena League might take him, but but you're essentially at that point talking about your career being over. So if if, if Michael does want to continue to play football, which I, I think he does, I've had many conversations with him, He's always talked about his love of football, his need for football. I, I he has to go back, and he has to go back now. Yeah, he had, they have a week. The game is next Thursday, um, and you feel if he's not back by game one, he's never going to come back. Um, but what does it what does it mean? Does it mean anything for high profile? LGBT athletes in sports, especially gay men, because that's that's been the big focus. Because you, a lot of the disappointment in Portland was this idea that this makes, quote unquote, us look bad. I don't, I don't think it makes us look bad. I think, I, you know, you have Robbie Rogers and Jason Collins and many other uh, athletes who who have not done something like this. Um, I don't think it makes us look bad. What I, I think it does is, I think it makes other LGBT elite athletes cringe a bit. You know, if, again, if he doesn't return, if he, if he returns and and I don't know if he'd end up playing in game one, but game two he plays and game three he gets sacked and game four he forces a fumble. It's, 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 just, it's, it, it's as though it never happened. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if he, if he doesn't go back, I think that, that it will 
thick other closeted athletes cringe even more than they already have watching him slide down the draft and not get picked up and all that stuff. Well, I kind of counterintuitively thought maybe it would be, in a weird way, not the word better, but so many people have thought Michael's not in the NFL simply because he is openly gay. I don't happen to believe that entirely. I think that's part of it. But if Michael basically just is done with football, I wonder if any athletes could say, well, maybe he wasn't that good or maybe he had issues or something that, you know, maybe it wasn't all homophobia. If you, I don't know if I'm making any sense that in some ways they can look at Michael and say, well, Hey, he got a chance with Montreal. They embraced him. They knew, you know, this wasn't an issue of homophobia with him. You know, the team clearly didn't cut him. I was kind of wondering in some ways it might make people feel that, Oh, well, everybody is an, you know, has their own story and maybe it is possible, but that that's, that's sort of reaching for some good out of this. But, uh, I agree that I think on the lower levels it doesn't matter, but I do think people are going to be cringing, um, you know, if you're at the pro level. I also think, and I don't want to make excuses, but uh, I think that these trailblazers, whether it's these early couples, same-sex couples who get married or, or, you know, the first NFL player who's coming out, I think – they do experience pressures and, and things in their lives that nobody can prepare them for, that, that they don't understand, that no, there isn't a blueprint for. And, and and so I do have some empathy for Michael and, and what he goes through. Um, I, I You know, there's so many pressures from... What? Yeah, no, clearly. That's why I never I never objected to the... I mean, the Oprah thought I thought was just terrible timing and optics, but couldn't blame them. They paid them a lot. Um, Dancing with the Stars the same way. It's like, you know, when you're 22, 23, and you have some solid money coming your way, it's hard for me to say, well, he should have not done Dancing with the Stars and focus. I mean, that's that to me is BS because you can do both. Um, yeah. But it's a lot of pressure, and I think that's why we come back to what so many people have told us over the years. They They think the first person to come out maybe successfully would have to be somebody who's already an established person in their league maybe not a superstar but you know a solid starter on a team um and knows that you know they have a contract knows they're not going to be cut you know all that kind of stuff that maybe that person could do it and make the transition but Brittany did it you know before she started but hers is more of a relationship issue than it is obviously an on-court performance and michael's case that's a lot of pressure for anybody that young or even hell that old, you know, if I had the same kind of pressure, it'd be kind of tough to have to deal with that all the time. Just the expectations everybody has of you. Yeah, certainly. So, but either way, <laughs> I think everyone is praying that Michael heads back to the Alouettes and, 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 and heads back soon. Cause it's again, so much hope put into this guy uh, which obviously builds pressure on him, but uh, for it to end like this would, would be sad. Agreed. And um, kind of transition out of Michael to sort of stories of hope. Uh, and, you know, we kind of can beat Michael to the ground, but until anybody knows really what's going to happen, we're kind of just speculating. But yeah. it's a good transition to some of the stories we heard in Portland at the Nike uh, Sports Summit where there are more than 100 people in attendance and a lot of athletes, especially a lot of young athletes. And 
just the energy and the positivity from people and people who've gone through a lot. Um, and you can maybe talk about one player. We won't use his name since he's not. I mean, he's out on Facebook, but not out publicly. A young high school football player that you did a great Q and A with sort of shows an amazing ability to overcome obstacles and kind of still be what we say is out and proud. I, I, the, the best kinds of Q and A are when you ask someone one question and then they answer all of your questions yeah. in an incredibly <laughs> elegant, powerful, emotional 15 minute conversation. So it's uh I don't know whether I did a Q and A. I think I did one Q, and he just he answered. Well, it was a great. It was a great Q. It was. Yeah. <laughs> well, but it was. What was you know? One of the things that we walk into the summit with is trying to meet people who aren't like us. We're two white men. I go there trying to spend more time with women and people of color. And we were at uh, Nike has a big pride party every Friday night at the summit, and so Friday night I you know saw this kid. And uh, he had come in late earlier that day, and I walked over to him and just said, hey, let's just go sit down and chat. And I asked him about his life, and he and he just opened up about um, about being physically and sexually abused by various family members, about, about being pummeled to the point where his mother did not recognize him by one of her boyfriends, by... Uh, by struggling with his sexual orientation and, and, and how football kind of latched on to football. And it's interesting, Michael Sam has said a lot of the very same thing. If it wasn't for football, I'd probably be dead right now. Football, uh, using football to latch on and, and, and focus and, and learn life lessons and rise up out of, the, uh, out of you know, life, life's problems and poverty and other things. So, just talking to him, I was in, in tears in the middle of this huge celebratory party, and 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 thought, you know, I need to, we need to share this with everybody else. So, because again, these kids, you know, these kids in the inner cities of these big, uh, these big cities, these big metropolises, they're people of color, they're they're they're, they're poor. They're lower middle class, and we just forget about them. The, our, our media forgets about them. We we forget that some of them struggle with sexual orientation and abuse, uh, um, you know, physical and mental abuse because of that as well. And I just thought it was important for this kid to share his story because we just we just don't hear those stories enough. And I think everybody left. And he's a high school football affected. player who's going to college this year to play football and. Uh... What's been good about it is in the in after the you know the sessions of email chains have been going around that we've already had somebody help this athlete get some support at his new school and find some resources. There's a lot of people in this coalition who really are well connected, who are smart, who know what they're doing, and that's the beauty of the of this whole coalition is this ability to kind of network and help, especially help younger people, uh, you know, navigate and. Um, you know, I, I think one of the stories that touched me was um, doing a panel on coming out in the media, and a lot of people panel at the thing had already told their stories, either out sports or somewhere else. And then a guy that wrote, uh, we wrote about David Gilbert. I think you wrote about he's a cross-country runner um, at, at a school in Idaho. He's from Washington State, and he's a um, Jehovah's Witness, which is sort of unusual to have an openly gay Jehovah's Witness. And he told about his story ran 
and he got a lot of favorable comment, but the stuff that did, he was not prepared for and his family wasn't prepared for was all the religious stuff. All these Jehovah's Witnesses writing him, a lot of dialogue about you're going to hell and other people embracing him and just how much attention there was to that one line in his story. Basically, I'm a Jehovah's Witness, uh, which is, you know, one of those religions you just don't think of as having anybody gay. But then he said something that really moved everybody at this uh, workshop I was at, where he said he's overwhelmed because he's gotten, he's counted the number, 112 emails between of, of, of young people between the ages of 12 and 16 who are themselves Jehovah's Witness, Mormon, Adventist, whatever, who have thought constantly about wanting to kill themselves. And he's overwhelmed. He doesn't know how to handle replying to 112 people, especially when they then reply back with more questions and like your heart goes out to him, like he's their he's their lifeline, and they didn't know anybody like him. And he's what David's nineteen or twenty, and he's having to sort of try to be a mentor. And it was just one of those stories. You go, wow! And everyone who heard it was just like you, you couldn't have you know you and I couldn't deal with one hundred and twelve, let alone twelve people. You know, imagine the pressure on somebody thinking they're responsible for that. Yeah, the, the, a lot of these kids when they tell their stories, they, they want to connect with community and because they need help and resources and, and they quickly become resources that they, <laughs> that they need. And, and they get thrust into this mentor role when, before they're really prepared. And I know it's something that we've talked about. How do you, how do we better prepare some of these kids to, 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 to take on these roles? in the movement and uh and yeah i mean 112 112 lgbt athletes reaching out to you and and expecting you to help them it, that's that's overwhelming for somebody who, without a full-time job let alone being a full-time student and having a part-time job and being an athlete it's it's it's, it's a lot yeah but i'm not sure they're all athletes but they are they are religious based people who've had that same feeling cuz you know they write him and say Every Sunday I go to church and I'm told I'm, an, you know, basically I'm an awful person. Homosexuality is a sin. And then, you know, the self-hatred. And so I talked to David the other day and he is going to be starting a blog. An idea we came up with was, well, you can't address 112 people. On a, you know, you're just going to drive yourself crazy. He's going to start a blog to discuss these issues. And, you know, you and I have done WordPress. You can be anonymous on WordPress. He's going to try to make that new community. And then let these people know this this exists. You can post on it. You could comment and use it as a way to sort of reach more people without himself having to feel like he's responsible for that. And I thought it was another good lesson of how that that thing could network because he had no idea what to do. And then the blog idea came about. And we talked about various vehicles. And so now he's all excited about, you know, starting this. And so I'm going to be working with him on this, setting up this blog so it you know, is, is effective. And then, of course, Outsports will publicize it. And uh, hopefully these kids will then have a place, an outlet where they can go discuss their issues that are really <laughs> unique to them that I'm not, I'm not qualified to discuss it because I'm not in their religion. Yeah, it's, Jehovah's Witness kind of gets forgotten when we talk about religion in, in, in the LGBT community. We talk about Mormons. We talk about Christians. There's some Judaism but we forget about I mean, this, uh, Jehovah's Witness is powerful. It's, again, it's my, what Michael Sam faced, one of the reasons that his mom didn't want him 
playing football is because it was against her religion, and she's a Jehovah's Witness, and we kind of forget that there are sometimes there are there are religions beyond the the few that we focus on. Um, and so, what else from the summit, like either people or issues that? kind of, you know, reached you. I mean, I had uh, interesting conversations with the two ex-Pepperdine uh, lesbian basketball players who, you know, their case is now in federal court about being dismissed from the team, they allege, because of their uh, their relationship and in, in, in being a lesbian. And, you know, just kind of meeting them in person was wonderful. So there were, those were two of my highlights. Just watching the, the younger athletes connect, uh, that's, you know, it was uh, Saturday night. They, they all went to an 18 and over club together, and and just had a blast. And it's this finding of community is is so important to these kids. And and watching that, and watching the joy, and then they come up to you at the end. Thank you so much. And this has changed my life, and it's very rewarding. So it's 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 a lot less what you know I interact with. Just kind of sitting back at times and just watching these kids finally find community and, and, and find empowerment. So that's, that, that's what really sticks with me, stuck with me this year. Um, we had so many more youth this year. So that was really one of the powerful things that I noticed was that community. Boy, it makes you feel old too. I mean, it's like, you know, midnight, we've been up, you know, since six thirty or seven o'clock, and they're out, oh, were you going out with us? Uh, no, I'm going to bed. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> you know, and they're all, there's all, all this energy, and it really does make you realize back when you were young, all that energy you have, and it's like, geez, don't you people ever stop? <laughs> when do you ever sleep? Yeah, there was, uh, yeah, God, Saturday night, they all went out, and I went to bed. I was just so, I, I, I the problem is I killed it on Thursday night, or was it Wednesday night? One of those nights, I just, I went out way too late and just never recovered. So by Saturday, I just wanted to go to bed. But yeah, it's the it's the best thing about this is seeing the energy and also realizing this is the first time in a lot of their lives they've been able to be in the same space with other LGBT athletes of their age. Yeah, they maybe have emailed with them and communicated with them, but often they're isolated in these towns and places in the country where they don't have the, that many other people. And then they get there and oh my god, didn't you? You play the same sport I do. It's actually pretty – that's the empowering thing is to see how, you know, for them they kind of wish the conference lasted two weeks, you know, where you're just not – especially, you know, when you play, stand in a place like Portland, which is a great city to spend time in. And, uh, you know, so so I think that was what's interesting to see that the, the bonds they created, and now they're all, you know, best buddies and posting on every social media, which I still don't understand Snapchat, but they're all on Snapchat <laughs> um, posting who knows what, but it just it was just fun to see them all and see the energy that makes you think, okay, you know, I, I'm getting older, but there is a new generation that has, has the energy to do all this stuff. Yeah, well, I still have a lot of energy, just not, not, quite, not quite as much as they do. <laughs> exactly, and I'm older than you, so I have even less, so... Um, <laughs> So now we're hitting the summer, and uh, we'll be here next week, and then we're off the week of the the 4th of July thing. And then, thank God, football is coming back. Wow. Almost around the corner. i got to start reading my my fantasy football previews. Uh, Yeah, I talked to a woman at Penn State who – 
who was at the conference, who runs an all-lesbian fantasy football league. And she was already talking about who her number one pick would be, maybe, and, you know, just sort of like she was really into it and doing her spreadsheets. And it was like, you know, and I said, I don't want the number one pick because I don't think there is a surefire number one this year. So, Yeah, there there never is a surefire number one, or very rarely. And, and even when there is, they always fall on their face. So. Exactly. I'll so we'll have plenty of time to talk, talk fantasy, fantasy football, and maybe we'll have uh, – um, Sonia on to talk about her lesbian fantasy football league, especially the names they come up with for this thing. So, oh, um, but we're running out of time here. Again, our um, podcast is sponsored by AT&T mobilizing your world. We will um, be back next week with uh, our final edition for pride month. So until then, this is a Jim with Sid in Los Angeles, and we will talk to you next week. <laughs>